0: Comfort me Lord and pay my bills. Comfort me Lord and cure my ills. Comfort me Lord and remove my fears. Comfort me Lord and dry my tears. Comfort me Lord and increase my wealth. Comfort me Lord and preserve my health. Comfort me Lord and plead my case. Comfort me Lord and enlarge my place. Comfort me Lord and tell me why. Comfort me Lord and set me on high. Comfort me, Lord, and do what I say. Comfort me, Lord, and do it today. The Spirit listened as I uttered my mind. He said not a word as I pleaded and pined. And then he spoke in the language of conviction, saying comfort isn't comfort in the absence of affliction. I wonder today how we view affliction. Do we ever see affliction as perhaps a divine vocation? We, we all know what, what a vocation is. Someone who is a teacher, someone who is a nurse, a doctor, a lawyer. There are things that people are, are called to do. But do we ever view suffering, affliction, as something that God calls us to? This poem, I believe, describes the feeling of so many Christians today. And I, I'm as guilty of any, as any, when it comes to affliction, we see it as a real terrible thing. Now, don't get me wrong. Affliction is part of the curse. It is the result of sin coming into this world. It's the reason we have it. But perhaps many times we view afflictions and trials as something that we shouldn't really go through in the Christian life, something that we should never face here below. But as the person who wrote this poem, and I'm unsure of who it was. It definitely wasn't me. I can tell you that. But as the one who wrote this poem put it so well in that final line, comfort isn't comfort in the absence of affliction. To be comforted means that there, there's a prerequisite, that we have to be facing difficulty, that we have to be facing affliction. And Jesus himself told us in John chapter 16 verse 33, in the world ye shall have tribulation. He made no qualms about it. It was an absolute fact that we would all face In this life, if we are saved, if we are Christians, we will face tribulation. And so as we walk through the Christian life, when suffering comes our way, do, do we begin to say, well, Lord, this isn't how it's supposed to be. I'm not supposed to be facing tribulation. I'm not supposed to be facing suffering. This isn't supposed to happen, not to me. How do we view tribulation? How do we view suffering when it comes our way? as a terrible, a dreadful thing? Or perhaps do we view it as something that will ultimately bring us closer to the Lord? Something that will help us to rest ourselves on him through our difficulties. And this morning we have read from the book of Exodus. We have read of the children of Israel in the land of Egypt. They knew what it was to suffer. They knew what it was to suffer under the hands of cruel and wicked people. The Egyptians were not easy on them. They were taskmasters. And so for a time I want us this morning to consider words of comfort in the midst of affliction. Because it is certain. It's an absolute certainty that if we haven't faced affliction. If we haven't faced trial up to this point. It will come our way. And when we suffer. We want to be able to say, like Peter in 1 Peter 4 verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. As though some strange thing had happened to you. We don't want it to be some strange thing that happens. Suffering and affliction will come our way. If it hasn't already. And so, what are we to remember in the middle of affliction? What words does the Lord give us when affliction and suffering is our lot in life? Well, first of all, we see here in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 24 and 25 that God hears and sees you. Verse 24, God heard their groaning. And then verse 25, God looked upon the children of Israel. And first of all, the fact that God heard them, it's a fundamental fact about God that he hears the cry of his people. The Bible tells us in Psalm 34, we sang that psalm, the start of our service. Psalm 34, verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His ears are open unto their cry. God continually has his ear open so that we can cry to him at any time. But I wonder, how too often do we actually cry out unto the Lord? How too often do we cry to him? Notice what it says in verse 23 that they cry, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. Therefore, not to be Captain Obvious this morning, but for God to hear your cry, there must first be a cry unto him. How often do we cry out to the Lord when times of difficulty, when times of trial come our way? How often is that our first port of call? For Israel, they were crying out because of their oppression. They were in bondage in Egypt. Their taskmasters were sore on them. They had no respite from their physical torment. And where do we read that they immediately turned to? It's the Lord. They went straight to the Lord. They didn't try to fix the problem by themselves. They didn't see how they could perhaps get out of slavery. The first thing that they did was they cried unto the Lord. And it is imperative that we realize that our first port of call when faced with affliction should be to call out, to cry out to the Lord. But how too often it isn't. And I'm speaking for myself here as much as anyone else. We try to fix the problem ourselves. We try to go to someone else, see if they can help us out first. We do everything else that we possibly can. And then, as a last resort, we go to the Lord. The Lord is to be our first port of call. The Bible has so much to say about God hearing or God's people crying to him. Obviously here in Exodus chapter 2 we see that Israel cried out in their bondage. And it's clear throughout the history of Israel that they often cried out to the Lord when they were afflicted. If you turn over to Judges chapter 10, you'll see here another instance where they cried out to the Lord. Judges chapter 10. And the verse eleven, Judges ten, the verse eleven. Oh, well, we read in verse number ten that it says the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, and then in verse eleven, the Lord replies back to them, and He says, "The Lord said unto the children of Israel, Did not I deliver you from the Egyptians?" And from the Amorites, and from the children of Ammon, and from the Philistines, the Zidonians also, the Amalekites, the Minoanites, did oppress you. And ye cried unto me, and I delivered you out of their hand. The Lord was good to Israel, time and time again. He was their great deliverer. And I wonder, could we not put our many afflictions in life within these verses? And the Lord, would he not say to you, didn't I deliver you from that situation when everything was working against you? Didn't I deliver you from that illness in your life? Did not I deliver you from that time of worry over your future? When all of these things oppressed you, when all of these things were against you, you cried unto me, what did I do? I delivered you. And when the Lord delivers us out of our afflictions and sufferings. When he delivers us out of troublesome times. I wonder what is our response after he hears our cries. After he delivers us. Is it joy? Is it thankfulness? Running straight back to him? Like that leper that ran straight back to the Lord and thanked him? Or is it like we read here in Judges chapter 10. Verse 13. Would the Lord say of us after he delivers us. In Verse 13. Yet ye have forsaken me. You've served other gods. Wherefore, I will deliver you no more. I pray that when we are in trial, when we are in affliction, when the Lord then hears us and delivers us, that we run straight back to Him and say, Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for being with me. Not only do we see that the Lord, the cry of the children of Israel in their affliction, but the Psalms, they are full of times. When God's people turn to God in their affliction, Psalm eighteen verse six, David says there, "In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God, and He heard my voice out of His temple, and my cry came up before Him, even unto His ears." Asaph in Psalm eighty one verse seven says, "Thou callest in the in trouble, and I delivered thee." Another psalmist in Psalm one hundred and seven says there then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble and he saveth them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord here in Exodus chapter 2, do we see the Lord delivering them immediately? Do we see the Lord sending down chariots of fire? Do we see the Lord bringing down miracles upon Egypt to bring Israel straight away out of bondage? No. We don't read of that. But he did deliver them. He brought them out of Egypt. He was at this time preparing Moses, preparing his servant, preparing the one who would lead the children of Israel out of bondage. And God will deliver. Maybe not how we want them to, perhaps not when we want them to, but God will deliver in his perfect time. What I want you to take away this morning, child of God, from this fact, from this point that God hears you, is that when you cry out to your heavenly father, he is listening intently to your prayers. D.L. Moody, he said about his son, he said, my little boy has three calls. He opens the study door and he calls out, Papa. I pay him no attention because it's merely to attract notice. I wonder, do do we have kids like that? You just shout out, Mom, Dad. They, they don't really have any reason for doing it. They just want your attention. And then he says again, he comes and he throws open the study door. And he runs and he says, Papa, look here, I have something to show you. And he says, I know by his call that he is really in earnest and I turn to share in his joy. You know, your child, they've, they've drawn you a little picture, they've colored you in something, whatever it may be, they've made you something, they come to show you, their proudest punch of it. And you want to share in that joy that they have. But then he says there is still another call. When he is in the garden and he may meet with an accident and in quick and in stressed voice he calls out, Papa, I know by that call that my child is in trouble. And I am out of the house in an instant by my boy's side doing what I can to help him. I'm sure you've all had experiences like that. The Moody, he said... In like manner, God deals the same with us. He says that there are times that we call to him, we scarcely mean anything by it. And when we scarcely mean anything by our call, the Lord, we're not expecting a reply from him, so why would the Lord reply? But then again, we wish to call the Lord's attention to some unexpected joy some delight some pleasure that we have received at his hand and we want to thank him for it we want him to share in the joy that we experience but he then says dear friends how quickly the lord will come to the call of one in distress he knows all the different calls of his children and especially those in trouble for has he not promised call upon me in the day of trouble and i will deliver thee he is our heavenly father we are his children And we oftentimes find ourselves in distress. Not only do we see that the Lord hears us, but we read in verse 25 that he also sees us as well. He sees, God sees his people. And God saw the affliction of his people. He saw how poorly they were treated by their Egyptian slavers. And therefore we can say that God saw them in a poor and needy state. And what do we read in Psalm 40, verse 17? I am poor and needy, the psalmist says, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. <coughs> Child of God, if you're in the middle of affliction, please remember this. If you're in the middle of deep distress, please remember these facts. God hears you when you cry unto him. And eye is ever upon you. His mind is ever toward you. So God hears and sees you. That's the first thing to remember in the midst of affliction. Secondly, notice here that God remembers his promise to you. There we see it in verse 24. God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. Here we see God's description as a covenant keeping God. It's shining through here. Well, we ask the question, what is a covenant? Well, a covenant simply is a promise, but it is so much stronger than a promise. It's stronger than just making a promise in word. God made a promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, that through his seed, through the seed of Abraham and his subsequent offspring, that all the nations of the world would be blessed. And we see this covenant being progressively revealed to the patriarchs. First to Abraham, then to Isaac, and then to his son Jacob. And in each instance, the essence of God's promise was the exact same. He promised that they would be made into a great nation, both in size and in stature. That God would lead them to the promised land for them to inherit. And that through their seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. It was a threefold promise that God made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And now I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the children of Israel, or perhaps the sandals, maybe we would say, of the children of Israel. They're fully aware of the promise that God has revealed to them as a nation. The fact that they would be made a great nation, led to the promised land, and through them all the world would be blessed. Those are the three promises that God made in that one single covenant. We read earlier in chapter 1 and verse 7, it says there that the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty and the land was filled with them. So again, remember, you're in the the shoes of the children of Israel now. You're beginning to see that one aspect of God's promise is being fulfilled. We're being made into a great nation. They've just been led out of famine by Joseph into Egypt. And where were they led to? They were led to the land of Goshen, a land that was given to them. And now you can see their cogs, they're starting to turn in their own mind. Well, God has fulfilled one promise. We are a great nation. We are great in size. We have now been led to a land that was given to us to inherit. Here, God is really keeping his word. God is being so faithful to his promises. And where were they led to? They were led to Egypt. Another nation of the world. And so they're beginning to see that third promise being fulfilled. We can be a blessing to this nation. Our seed, our offspring, our generations can bless the nations of the world, starting here in Egypt. And so you see how they're beginning to think well, God is really keeping his promises, God is really being faithful to his word. But then comes the affliction, then comes the suffering. The Egyptians are no longer a willing host to the nation of Israel, but turn them into their slaves. The end of the previous chapter, we read of Pharaoh and how he charged all the midwives to take the young boys that were born of the Israelites and cast them into the river now. Awful tragedy. So now, they're probably beginning to think, well... God's not being faithful to his promise anymore. We were made a great nation. Now our sons are being killed right in front of our very eyes. This land is no longer ours. How can we be a blessing to the land of Egypt when we're in bondage and slavery to them? To them it seemed like God's promise was crumbling all around them. And perhaps God really wasn't being faithful to his covenant that he made. And so when they now groan and cry out to the Lord in their affliction, the Bible reminds us that God remembered His covenant. God's not like us in this way. When we make promises, we overpromise and underdeliver. It's sort of our our motto and work. We flip it around. We underpromise and we overdeliver for customers. I wonder to your wife, to your husband, do you ever overpromise and underdeliver? I promise that I'll get the garden done this weekend. I promise that I'll get the house cleaned up. I promise that we'll go out and do that bit of shopping that you want it to do. I promise that we'll get those things done around the house that you're looking done, dear. But we forget. We forget those promises. I can tell you I'm as guilty as any. You ask my wife, she'll tell you. She's still waiting for things down from the attic after two months. We forget our promises. We're not faithful to our promises. But God remains faithful to his promise. Psalm 105, he remembereth his covenant forever. The word which he commanded to a thousand generations. And all the time that the people of Israel were in slavery, all the time that the people of Israel were in bondage, God was remembering his covenant. He was preparing Moses to be their deliverer. And then, when Moses eventually came to Aaron, uh, Moses and Aaron eventually come to Pharaoh. We see that Pharaoh's first response to the request for the people of Israel to go free, what was it? it was to let make the lives of the children of Israel even more difficult, more labor, more work, more bondage, more suffering. And so God appears to Moses again and reminds him in Chapter Six of Exodus. Turn over there. Exodus chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Exodus chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Here he appears to Moses. He reminds him again, I am remembering still my covenant. I am remembering the promise that I made to you. And God will never forget his promise. God still hasn't forgot his covenant, his promise with his church. In fact, we see that throughout the Old Testament, he only continued to reveal more of this promise. Isaiah 43 verse 2. What does it say there? When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. He promised his presence. Through the rivers rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fires, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. It's when we are in affliction that God promises that we will have his presence. That he will never leave us to be alone in those times of trouble. But there are times that we will feel his presence more. And I believe that affliction is one of those times. When we are in our deepest distress. When we are in the deepest valley that we could possibly fathom. I believe that is where we find the presence And the nearness of God most. These times of affliction, they draw us closer to God. They ensure that we are relying on his promises and not on our own efforts. It was John Calvin who said that confidence in prayer must only be sought for in the promises of God. Confidence in prayer must only be sought for in the promises of God. Therefore, we could really take this verse here in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 24. And we could read it that God heard their groanings because he remembered his covenant. Because he remembered his covenant. Child of God, are you in affliction today? Are you in suffering today? Keep this truth within your heart. God remembers his many promises to you. What promises has he made? That he will never leave you. That he will never forsake you. And that when you are in those valleys, that he will be with you. Third, notice with me that God cares for you. Not only does God hear and see you, not only does God remember his promise toward you, but lastly, God cares for you. That's the third thing to remember when we're in affliction. Notice verse 25 with me. God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. The Hebrew word therefore, had respect unto, you. it's the word yadah. It's quite a broad word in the Old Testament, and it's commonly translated to know. To know. It speaks about full knowledge, an intimate knowledge of someone. And those whom God knows intimately are who? It's us, the children of God. Those who are saved and redeemed. Those who are his own people. And I'm sure that there were many times that the Israelites, when they were in slavery, that they would have thought that they were alone. When they were in their affliction, God has forgotten about us. God doesn't care anymore. (laughs) Exodus 12 verse 40 tells us, The sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. For 430 years, the children of Israel suffered affliction. They suffered bondage. They suffered many different things. It was only for a time. Yes, in human standards, 430 years is a very long time to be in affliction, to be in suffering. But what are we reminded of in the New Testament? Romans 8 verse 18, For I reckon, That the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. When we compare our sufferings in the light of eternity, it is but a very short time. For the children of Israel, it was a long time to be in natural affliction. And so their natural response was to assume that God just doesn't care anymore. And is this not how we can feel in our deep affliction? God's forgotten. God doesn't care anymore. Why would God think about me? I'm in my suffering. I'm in my trial. I'm in this awful situation. God's forgotten about me. I think Frank Graf would disagree with you. Frank Graf was an American pastor in the late 1800s and early 1900s. He was called the Sunshine Minister by those surrounding his parish. I don't know what nickname you have for the Reverend Horace here. Maybe he's the sunshine minister. But he was called the sunshine minister because he he was a very joyful man. He had a very cheerful disposition, an optimistic outlook on life. But in spite of his cheerful disposition, he was a man that was sorely tried by doubts and deep battles with depression. He loved children. And all the kids in the church loved him. He loved being involved in kids' work even though he and his wife could not have any kids of their own. And in 1901, his youngest sister, Erasmus, who he was very close with, she passed away. And this led Frank Graff to write the beautiful words of that hymn. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song, as the burdens press and the cares distress, and the way he grows weary and long?" He resounds triumphantly in the chorus. Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. Beautiful words. Encouraging words. Child of God, let me remind you, your heavenly Father cares for you. As a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. Are you in affliction today? Are you in suffering? Are you battling today, child of God? Then follow the commandment of Psalm 55, verse 22. Cast thy burden on the Lord, that he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Remember these words in the midst of your affliction. God hears you and sees you. God remembers his promise toward you. And he cares for you.